0: Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. L'amour, l'amour. How are you? Uh, tired. Okay. How are you? Okay. Uh, I didn't get good sleep. Something woke me up at three o'clock. And then I stayed up until like four. And then woke back up again at like seven. Oh. And then had an incident with uh, DoorDash. An incident? Very frustrated this morning. Um, I ordered breakfast for us on DoorDash to pick up from a restaurant I had not heard of near our house in Manhattan Beach. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, this is going to be cute. It, it's because it, the name of the restaurant is Burrito Affirmations. So I thought, oh, it's probably some trendy bullshit thing in Manhattan Beach that will appeal to white folks who want Mexican food. But I wanted to try it. And there yeah, was... let's be clear that you wanted to try it. I had oh, to... I wanted to try it, yes. You had no idea where I was ordering from. <laughs> So, I order from there and we go to pick it up, and I'm having a very difficult time finding it. I have the address, I know where this location is, but the only thing there is this like Mexican restaurant we've had, we've eaten from before, which is fine. Mm -hmm. It's fine. Yeah. But the prices are like half, less than half of what they were on DoorDash. So, I'm like, well, this can't be right because I just, these burritos were like $16 each. So we drive around looking for the place. I try to call the number on DoorDash, and it's out of service. So I finally walk into this other Mexican restaurant and say, Hey, are you this place? And the guy's like, Yeah, what's your name? (laughs) So I was very upset because I feel like I had been catfished. Yeah. A little bit. Because the DoorDash profile for this other restaurant, this fake restaurant, was much nicer. The food looked much nicer. And it was
1: much more expensive. And
0: was more than double what the prices of this place we've eaten at a number of times before are. The prices are much lower. But I get the food because we need to eat. And then I get on chat with like a DoorDash rep. And I was on there for like an hour.
1: Yeah. Very distracted.
0: Yeah. Transferred to like three different people. Before I finally just disconnected saying I was very unhappy because I feel like I was deceived. And DoorDash's response is like, well, we have no, we have no control over how these restaurants, um, like what information they put in their profile. Mm -hmm. To which my response was like, how do you not verify your like Partners, like,
1: Well, right, but that's like getting on Grinder's ass for saying I showed up at somebody's house and he didn't look like his pictures.
0: No, Well, no, I don't think that's the same because that would be like how Amazon sells products sure, from some, vendors that are like them. And know. then it's like you order a, a, a DVD of Heartbreakers mm-hmm. and then it shows up and it's a bootleg cop- copy of a, mo- a, a movie called Cockbreakers. Oh it's God. just like, that's how I felt. Sure. Like just totally duped. So the resolve was I got a... They didn't tell me this. the The agent disconnected from my chat, like ended it, uh-huh. didn't finish, and then I get an email saying I received a fifteen dollar credit. But anyway, that's my rant about DoorDash. Such, <laughs> such tenacity about. I don't know I mean, I do complain, but
1: this is how I get to have to motivate you on some things. Is I have to give you the impression that you were ripped off,
0: yeah, uh, and then it's full steam ahead. This is unacceptable <laughs> But I, I'm, not, I'm not. I didn't go full Karen on it. I feel like it was oh, very reasonable. No, of course it was. I didn't that I, I purchased food from an imaginary restaurant. I just think it's kind
1: of creepy because the only way you would know, is if you're in a
0: situation where you go pick up the food yourself. Yes, that's the point. It's deceptive because had we done delivery, we wouldn't have been the wiser. Or I wouldn't have been. Yeah, because they could be delivering DiGiorno's. Right. I wouldn't know. Right. But because I chose to pick it up, and I realized, like, wait, 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 wait. (laughs) This is not the restaurant. Anyway, enough about that. So, we are caught up on Drag Race Holland. Mm. We watched episodes five, six, seven. The judging has been interesting, because episode two, someone went home who I didn't think deserved to go home. Which was who? The darker skinned man. Oh, yeah.
1: I don't the, know that he's dressed black. up as
0: the gremlin. Yes. And then. Uh, what was his?
1: Masisi? Yeah, Masisi. Love Masisi. Love my sissy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it was weird. They they shackled him to a, a narrative of. Uh, he doesn't
0: believe in himself. He doesn't believe and, in himself.
1: And it's like, this grown ass man,
0: just let him perform. But, yeah, so episode five, there's the challenge where they, like, a family member comes or a loved one, friend, and they have to do, like, Put them in drag and do a family resemblance, and the countess ends up going home, uh, which was fine with me yeah she didn't have much personality, so
1: well, her personality is built on uh, the self defense mechanism of being a mean girl, so beautiful,
0: beautiful gowns but beautiful gowns, yeah. but but she could go yeah episode six was an acting challenge, and Tabitha, who is my favorite? Not to win. I didn't think Tabitha would win. But I thought Tabitha would be the person I'd want to hang out with. Sure. Um, and she had a lot of personality. Mm-hmm. Her drag was raggedy. Yeah. And she she she's the one who looks like Tony Savalas. Tell- Do- Telly. Telly. Who doesn't want to cinch or oh, pad. Oh, no. We won't be doing
1: that today. <laughs> yeah, no, we sir. won't be doing that. Which so, you can't ask her to because Fred doesn't cinch. The and Fred is
0: like, yes, don't cinch. Like, both of y'all <laughs> need to cinch and pad. But yeah, Tabitha's drag was a little raggedy, but I thought she had the most personality and seemed the most fun. She also was the oldest one. Mm -hmm. So I think that's also probably why I really liked her. But she went home episode six, and episode seven, well, something kind of big happened episode six. Vanessa Van Cartier confronts Vivaldi Mm -hmm. because Vivaldi makes a comment about, we find out Vanessa Vanessa's the trans woman, Mm -hmm. and she started her transition later in life. So her male pattern baldness had already started yeah. before her hormone replacement therapy. So her hairline's fucked up, yeah. and she's very self conscious about it. And during the challenge, her turban fell off, and Viv, uh, Vivaldi made a what I didn't what what I thought was a very like loose comment, like not targeted at her, but just like oh that sucks, what happened with your turban? And Vanessa took it as like you're mocking my hairline. Yes. So they had a huge confrontation. But
1: they had already had a little tension over stuff that's... Uh, I, I feel like people were being sensitive. I feel like they were blowing it out of proportion. Uh, on
0: both ends, I think. just. Like... But it resulted in Vanessa telling the group and, I guess, production, because she's on camera, that Vivaldi has a cell phone. Mm-hmm. And they're not supposed to have cell phones. Mm-hmm. It gives them an unfair advantage because they can look up shit for challenges. So for episode six... During the judging, Fred asks everyone, like, what do you think we should do with Vivaldi because she broke the rules? And they all say this bitch should go home, but then she doesn't. (laughs) And
1: Fred's like, nah.
0: Fred's like, no, I'm just going to make her lip sync against Tabitha, and then Tabitha loses, so Vivaldi gets to stay. I thought she should have gone home. I think it was a matter of,
1: it was top five, and they kind of would have screwed themselves over at this
0: point, maybe, maybe. You know, it is very produced, so I'm sure they had in mind, like, who would be top, so they didn't want... And I'm sure Vivaldi was part of that group. But, that kind of... That logic doesn't really apply now, because episode seven, another acting challenge, Keita Minaj gets sent home. Yeah, I was kind of surprised at that. And I thought... I was 100% sure she would be
1: top two. But it it really does come down to... They're asked to lip sync, however they ended up... But that's not really
0: fair, because when Old Girl Went Home, episode three, they say, like, we're, like, I'm basing this on the full... Yeah, they do flip-flop. So they flip-flop, so I just thought, like, wow, Keita Minaj had won
1: three challenges. It's just kind of, like, how they allowed Countess to stay after that terrible lip-sync. Right. To Vogue. Right, where he, where Fred makes a statement like, "Look, that lip sync was bad, uh, but this is your first time here."
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I still really like Drag Race Holland, and I like Fred, but I, I was shocked that Keita Minaj went home.
1: Yeah, but you know, th- at the same time, it makes it a little less predictable that
0: it does. But now I think
1: for sure, uh, My
0: Little Pony is going to win. Probably. Which I'm fine with. I, I thought he would be top two, so that makes yeah. sense. Okay, uh, well, moving on, it's been a very busy week, uh, yeah, but I, would... I feel like we've, we haven't done a lot of things for fun, so we, I, neither of us have watched any movies outside of the ones we reviewed. Well, I've been watching three to
1: four to five movies a day for Toronto Film Festival since... And you're done with Toronto.
0: Yes, as of uh, yesterday. So you're going to provide us with your top five selections from TIFF. Yeah, that yeah, my my five highlights. Okay, go for and it. I guess
1: I didn't even really put them in order, but uh, closing the film festival uh, was Zhang Yimou's One Second, which notably uh, was in the competition at the 2019 uh, Berlin Film Festival and was yanked out of the lineup four days before its premiere. Uh, I, I think they, I think there was talk about it. Th- Post production issues, but everybody chalked it up to like China's censorship issues. Uh, since then, it, it finally has been released in China, but now it's at it, it last getting an international premiere. Uh, and it really is kind of a, a love letter to cinema uh, set in the mid 1970s uh, about a father desperate to basically look at this newsreel of a daughter he's been separated from because he's in a labor camp, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I, I was at that film festival in Berlin and kind of shocked that that happened. And uh, so I'm, I'm glad that I, we finally are catching up with it. He's actually directed three films since this. Uh, anyway, officially that closed uh, the Toronto Film Festival. Uh, then there's Terrence Davies, Benediction. Uh, I don't think you've ever seen a Terence Davies film. Uh, queer British filmmaker, but uh, definitely uh, a body of work worth... Uh, Catching up on for you, uh, I think my favorite. You're speaking to
0: me. Yes, you no. in
1: front of me. Oh, they meant the audience. No, I'm just kidding. Um, my favorite is his Emily Dickinson biopic with uh, Cynthia Nixon, A Quiet Passion from 2016, okay. uh, which I know I've talked to you about before, and we own, and I think that's a fantastic film. But he's he's recuperated another poet here, uh, Siegfried Sassoon, uh, a British poet from World War, right after World War One and kind of dealing with his love and work at the time, uh, I thought was a very, especially for Terrence Davies, kind of a cohesive biopic, uh, well-performed, uh, yeah, excellent little film. Okay. Uh, and then of course you did see The Good House with Sigourney Weaver. Segovia Weaver. Which, um, we had a couple people over to watch. Uh, I made lots and lots of food and cake and, uh, And then, all by myself, I rewatched it again the next day.
0: (laughs) It was a time to celebrate, clearly.
1: Well, because, you know, so back when The Good House was uh, announced, I I swore, I guess I haven't gone back to look, that this was uh, involved with Universal. uh, But, you know, maybe a lot of things have changed uh, in the world we live in. uh, So now it's just, it doesn't have uh, distribution. The Good House? Yeah, no. Oh. Uh, So I don't know if that... Like, Universal gave back the rights to Amblin. I, I don't know. But I, I, as of this recording, it's still in need of that. But I'm hoping somebody buys it and snaps it up and puts it out there and does a nice little awards campaign for her. I'm uh,
0: sure it will get distribution.
1: Oh, yeah. I, yeah, no doubt about that. I just don't want them to, you know, fuck it up. Uh, much like, you know what we forgot to mention in our review, the entire reason I started going to Toronto... Uh, was back in 2007 because her film The Girl in the Park was premiering there starring her and right. Kate Bosworth uh, which the Weinsteins bought the rights to and then uh, they released it in the UK only and DVD only in the US. They they fucked that movie over as they were apt to do with many, many films. Uh, anyhow. Uh, oh, Dash Cam which you also saw. An excellent movie. Yeah, uh, directed by Rob Savage. Uh, kind of a live footage Pandemic film that has a lot of WTF WTF moments and a a lead character that's atrociously captivating. Atrociously captivating person. uh, Played by Annie Hardy, which I hope that she does other things. Uh, And then Earwig, uh, which I read the book, uh, it's based on first, a novella by Brian Catling. uh, Lucille. I always say her last name wrong. Hadjla Lilovic, whose previous two films I really loved, Innocence and Evolution, again is giving us a film about a child being used for ambiguous, nefarious reasons. A child whose teeth have all been removed and she has to have uh, ice teeth put in her sockets in order to eat. (laughs) So they melt. Yes. And I believe it's collected from her saliva and they freeze them and there's this, there's a man known as her not her master, but her, th- th- that's hired to watch over her. And he's has to help her with her teeth. Uh, it's very bizarre. The, it's, I feel like her film is even more ambiguous than the book. Uh, <clears throat> uh, also starring Ramallah Garay. But also fascinating. Like, you're just fascinated by it. A weird cat that's kind of like a devil's familiar shows up. Wait, at the so
0: her teeth, because they can't just put like... Like, what year is it supposed to be? Uh, mid-century, like, right after World War II, the 50s. So they can't put, like, porcelain teeth in her mouth or wooden teeth? Or... Um, Eventually,
1: because she, as she's growing, this man, kind of like how your braces have to be adjusted, This a man has to come in and kind of tinker with the machinery of this thing to as her mouth grows. But eventually, the ice is replaced by glass. Oh, God. Okay. But, again, for reasons we're never... I don't want to say it's brilliant, it's just kind of like, I don't know what you could do to possibly explain what she's being used for, but the fact that it is unanswered is kind of like, oh. Okay. Uh, so, Earwig. Uh, and that played in the platform section. Of course, anytime TIFF's little competition section called Platform, uh, named after the Jezanka 2000 film of the same name, uh, they don't seem to award anything kind of bizarre or experimental <laughs> the little juries they have for those, so it's not surprising to me that that went home empty-handed. Um, but because of Toronto and going, going, going on that all day, there's a ton of releases this week we never even got to, like The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which I've, I have seen before, and Jessica Chastain is quite good in it. Um, but it would have been nice to have time to review that. Uh, I think we still have, we're still planning on watching Little Girl, the documentary about the trans child. Yeah. Uh, Everybody's talking about Jamie we didn't get to. Is that that musical? Yeah. Oh. With the guy who's like 28 playing a 16-year-old? No, that's Dear Evan Hansen. Oh. We're seeing that Monday. Oh. Tomorrow. We're seeing that tomorrow. Oh, something's happening tomorrow.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Dear Evan Hansen. No. (laughs) I need to check my calendar. Anyway... Uh, are are those all the toronto films you wanted to mention?
1: Oh, yeah, I mean I watched a lot more, but that's those are those are my highlights. There were there were a lot of things I didn't love, but uh oh, by the way, the awards came out. Dashcam cam won I think second runner up for the Midnight Madness.
0: Who won first?
1: Titane, which won the Palm Dora can, which you have to see. Did you yet. see that?
0: Yeah, it won the Palm Dora can. What was it about? We've talked about this. Well, can you, in one sentence, describe what it's about? You, you can go back and look at how I've sold it to you before in the can, the can footage. But well, what about people who haven't heard
1: what it's about? Oh, I said it's like that David Cronenbergian body horror film. Okay, I mean, I, <laughs> what is it about? Moving on. Uh, the second place of the Midnight Madness was that Irish horror film uh, You Are Not My Mother which I was very I can't believe that that got voted more for than um, Dashcam but anyhow. Okay. Projects of interest? Uh, Belgian filmmaker Dominique de Roder uh, who's been around for 30 odd years uh, has a new uh, Project called The Chapel that he's working on. I think it's about dueling pianists pianists. Uh but I remember Dear or Dare, back his 1987 movie Crazy Love. That's when Sean Pan and Madonna were out uh basically championing this Belgian filmmaker <laughs> with this movie. Uh, which Crazy Love is really worth a watch. Uh, he's since done other things like Everybody's Famous. Um But for some reason, I always think about Madonna out there chanting about this Belgian filmmaker. Okay. Uh, And then, of course, uh, we haven't really talked about it, but i made you aware of it. They're ramping up a remake of The Bodyguard. Okay. With Matthew Lopez writing, who's like a Tony Award-nominated writer. I don't know anything about it. I don't know. Everybody's speculating who... I assume that you had
0: thoughts on The Bodyguard, since you're a big fan of the film. I don't think it's a good movie, but I like Whitney Houston, so it was fun to watch. I don't know that, like a remake, like a movie or a miniseries.
1: It's my understanding that it's a film.
0: Oh, I mean, it could be fun. I yeah, don't, it would. You know, if it's going to be, it all depends on who it is and the angle they want to take, and because the the magic of the bodyguard was you had like two A list people in mm-hmm. it right mm-hmm. like Winnie Houston's kind of playing a version of how the public sees her right as this mega pop star and then you have Kevin Costner who was an A-list actor
1: mm-hmm. well so, and, I mean, and you know that script is from the 70s because it was it was a Diana Ross vehicle with I feel like I read that Steve McQueen and then I think she was really dating Ryan O'Neal both were like those were projects that should have come together then
0: so, I mean, if it's going to be, like, fucking Camille Cabello or whatever and, like, some kid from some, uh, the, I don't know, some show off of Showtime or something, I mean, I don't know, then I probably wouldn't be that interested. Because the actual... What about Beyonce? Beyonce wouldn't do it. Well, there was, at one point she was going
1: to do Star stars born.
0: born. Yeah, but that, I think, has a different cachet than The Bodyguard. She did a movie called Obsessed. I think that. She, yeah, but she at gets, this point, I don't see Beyonce doing the but. I mean, if she did, yes, that would be a, something that I would want to see. But I don't.
1: I think if you got a really good director and a, a, a very notable uh, co-star, I could see her doing it.
0: Yeah, but but the point I'm trying to make is it, they would have to be compelling stars. But just to have like some. Sea level, young actors. Well, I think everybody's uh, talking about like Cardi B or Lizzo. So then the angle to me would have to be a very different. It would have to be maybe slightly more comedic. Or well, it's not. I mean, there's no comedy in the Bodyguard, but no. maybe something a little more edgy than what the Bodyguard was. Yeah. Because also the affair that she's having with Kevin Costner also added to some of the uh, provocative of the story, right? Like Mm -hmm. this interracial and then this woman who's not married having... You know, because she has... She's about to have sex with the other bodyguard. Mm -hmm. and So I think in 2021, 2022, that just isn't that interesting. Well, yeah, because
1: even the 90s film seems very tame. Even how they deal with Costner and Whitney
0: Houston's romance seems very... Almost an afterthought. But I think enough that for that period, it it did... It it still was kind of like, oh... And I think the, the, the thriller aspect of The Bodyguard worked well. Sure. Because there's a lot of tension the last hour of the film. Rachel tension. Rachel tension. Uh, Isn't her name Rachel in that? Yeah, Rachel. And then... <laughs> I forgot her last name now. Rachel uh, whatever. And then Rachel tension is obviously RuPaul and Tu Wong Fu. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I think if, if it were someone like Cardi B or Lizzo it would probably have to really lean into, like, the thriller component and maybe add, like, some comedy to it. I think Cardi B
1: would be a bit... I think Lizzo could be interesting. I think Cardi B might be distracting.
0: Also, the life that we... You know, for people who watched The Bodyguard when it came out, we all were sort of... You know, we were all... Like, I... I, You know, I was younger, like a teenager, but I'm thinking adults who went to see this rated-R movie. They were sort of part... Their impression of Hollywood was very Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, right? Very Robin Leach. So, the life that Rachel Maron... That's the character. Rachel Maron. That's like Ben Tramer in Halloween. She lived in this beautiful palatial estate and had a limo driver. And nowadays, that's not how it goes, right? Nowadays, these people live in, like... Now these people are doing cameos. Well, no. I mean, someone (laughs) like Cardi B does have a beautiful... But, you know, they live in, like... They don't live in Beverly. You know, they live in Calabasas. Sure. And then their homes are a lot more modern. You know, a big plot point of the bodyguard is that her security is not, um, like, it's very out of date and not working. Sure. Right? Yeah. So a big part of that story is him getting it together. Whereas nowadays that wouldn't be a thing, right? We have, everyone has cameras everywhere. So, yeah, I mean, I think it could be done. I just don't know that I would be as interested as I was in 1990-whatever when a Whitney Houston movie with her singing a number of songs came out. I mean, that was just like a moment.
1: Well, that's the thing. I mean, in that film is the soundtrack.
0: Right. So, so it it was just a moment. I don't and, know. And, and even the, uh, what's that show Entertainment Tonight? Like that very, fam- mm-hmm. you know, the, like the scene when they're in Miami and she's mm-hmm. at the party and then even, uh, john tash like john doing. Tesh, but like all of that was very much 90s like it just felt so iconic and now to do things like that it just seems like nothing really right now is everything feels so trendy and you know what are they going to show on there her tiktok videos and oh my god <laughs> it just seems like i don't know i would be interested if it's someone i like but if it's going to be like a an old member of fifth harmony or some shit See, i'm just mad about cinderella because that was a waste of a movie which i didn't watch uh it sounds like i won't be uh but moving on so the obituary section mm-hmm. <laughs> who done been done died norm mcdonald norm mcdonald who i can picture i know what he looks like his he has a very distinct voice had a very distinct voice so i do know who this person is he died uh recently from luke complications from leukemia, I think. He was how old? 60? He was not old. He was 61? Sure. Uh, Anyhow. I'll confirm. I
1: mean, you don't remember him from SNL?
0: Yes, but I don't know a character of his from SNL. I remember... He was 61.
1: Looking at his IMDb, I forgot. He had his own show for a bit. I think he got fired from SNL in 98, or Let Go, or however they phrase it. Uh, Canned. Uh, He had his own show called Norm that I remember being heavily marketed... Uh, when I lived at home with my parents because I was in high school then because uh, I was just looking at the poster for that and showing you Laurie Metcalf's shoes. Yeah. Her <laughs> her clunky uh, <laughs> Oh, it's an ugly poster. And maid. even his style and like, oh, what we wanted straight men to look like. Um, was
0: that before or after Roseanne? After. This is like 1999, 2000. Because looking at the poster it felt very Roseanne like working class white people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you yeah. But, you know, uh, he gone. Yes. So I hope people appreciated him while he was here. Mm-hmm. All right, so today we did another thing where Nick surprised, one of us surprised each other with a movie, and Nick it was Nick's turn. Mm-hmm. So he surprised me with a film called Babyface, mm-hmm. which was released in 1933. Yeah, it's almost 90. Directed by... Alfred E. Green. This movie's younger than Clint Eastwood. <gasps> what else has this director done oh
1: he had hundreds of credits but mostly in like the 30s and 40s where you do several films a year oh Uh, but probably the Jolson story might be his most notable that's a
0: horrible name uh, for a title for a movie so I'm familiar with this movie I had never seen it and I didn't know when it came on I didn't realize what it was but after I watched it I realized that you reference this movie all the time yes because there's There are several shots in the film, I'll describe the story, but uh, there are several shots where we see this woman literally climbing the corporate ladder by, like, seducing men. Mm -hmm. So we see, like, the camera go up this high-rise to different departments in this bank, which Mm -hmm. is the high-rise. Okay. So the film stars Barbara Stanwyck, who, you know, so I had a movie
1: night for this years ago that you didn't show up to, um, where I had, this was a double feature with Double Indemnity. Oh, God. Which, of course, you've seen since then as well. I don't recall but. with Fred McMurray where she, she takes out the insurance on her husband, and then
0: they help. Oh, that's a good movie. Yeah, she's excellent in that. That's a good movie. Yeah. Okay. So Barbara Stanwyck plays a character named Lily. Lily Powers, and she grew up in Erie, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and her dad owns like a. He has like a, a bar, but he also like makes the beer. He has a speakeasy. A speakeasy. So that so he, and that's important to know because like the area where they like. Like distill or whatever. The okay. So he he's with his daughter Lily, who's now an adult. Like Mm -hmm. she's probably 20. Yeah. And the mom is gone. She left the dad because he's a terrible person. Part of why he's a terrible person is since Lily was the age of 14, he's been prostituting his daughter out to customers at this damn speakeasy. Mm -hmm. So she's tired of it, and she finally confronts him, like, I'm leaving. Because she's inspired by a character named Craig, who's this older man who has taken a liking to her and is not a creep with her. And he inspires her, like he gives her books from Nietzsche and shit. So he's trying to tell her like, girl, you need to use what you have, which I think she misinterprets as my feminine wiles. Yes. To get what she wants. But what he was saying is like, you're a smart, lovely person. You can have the world if you apply yourself. But anyway, she interprets it differently and she decides she wants to move to New York. So when she tells her dad, he's mad. Like, you're ungrateful. He calls her a tramp. And she's like, you made me a tramp. But before that happened... You've been holding me out since I was a teenager. He he locks her up with
1: a politician that's very notable. And she punches the politician who leaves. And the politician says, you are not
0: going to have police protection anymore for your establishment. So that's why they're... That's why the dad's upset. So Lily's like, well, I'm out. And the dad is like railing into her when... Another really fun character is Lily's... This this black woman who works with Lily, who's kind of like her friend, named Chico, mm-hmm. like, interrupts them and says, Hey, uh, whatever Lily's dad's name is, there's something wrong with, like, the still. Mm-hmm. So he stops yelling and runs downstairs to the still, and that motherfucker blows up on his ass mm-hmm. and kills him. Mm-hmm. So then we cut to Lily and Chico are now in New York. Yeah. And Lily is, like... She's very uh, adamant about getting what she wants by using her feminine wiles. She goes, so, the first high rise. Her first stop is this high rise. This bank high rise. And she sees a cop in front of it. And she's like, hey, I want to get in there. Like, I want a job in there. What do I need to do? And she's giving him eyes, like googly eyes. She goes, "What? Well, you- didn't she say, like, can't you fix it for me? And he, and the cop says, like, I mean, he's enamored by, every man who meets Lily is enamored by her. So he's like, yeah, go down to the personnel. personnel department on 47th, whatever. She goes, she flirts with that person, gets a job. Who's this,
1: like, chubby, despicable
0: southern person? She works her way to a point when her boss... Because she, now she's we've seen her seduce, like, three men to get to, like, a job that she has, like, processing, like, mortgage loans or something. And her boss is flirting with her, and she is in a dark room with him like fooling around when that man's boss Mr. Stevens walks mm. in and he's like oh no this is unacceptable boss man you're fired go mm. get your damn check and lily we can't have this here you need to go but lily sweet talks him well she's like what choice do i have i have to make he you... put himself on me like what am i supposed to do i'm just a woman so Mr. Stevens is like okay and he lets her work in his office as his receptionist And she seduces him. With another secretary there. Yeah. (laughs) And we find out Mr. Stevens is engaged to the bank president's daughter. Mm -hmm. So when the bank president's daughter finds out her fiance is messing around with his secretary, she's all upset, tries to tell her dad, Mr. Carter, the bank president, like, you need to get rid of this girl. But then Lily Sweet Sweet talks Mr. Carter, the bank president, and she convinces him... Like he gets her like a fancy penthouse yeah. and supports her. And All the while her little black friend Chico was with her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, Chico's her ride or die. And
1: Mr. Carter he Disney said like what does he say? I wish she's like
0: be, like I wish you would get rid of that fantastic colored, colored girl. Woman. But it's because the way Lily and Chico work is like Chico's kinda cog blocking. Yeah. So that they can live this lavish lifestyle without her having to like do too much. Yeah. So Um, But things culminate with uh, Mr. Stevens, the guy who's engaged to the bank president's daughter. He's really in love with Lily. So he comes over to her place one night when he finds out she's moved to confront her when he finds out there's a man in her place. And the man is Mr. Carter, his boss. But he's prepared to kill this... He's going to kill himself if Lily wouldn't take him back. But when he sees the man who's his boss... He kills his boss and himself. Yep, murder So it's a murder-suicide, murder, suicide, and it's big news. It's brought a lot of shame and scandal to the bank. So the board of directors are like, what are we going to do? And then they have a new president who's the grandson of the, the founder of the, the bank.
1: Who's, so it's a very late-coming George
0: Brent. Yes. So they, you know, Lily's smart, so she's like, well, you know, one of the tabloid newspapers says they'll give me 10 Gs. Which is a lot of money. That was like 200 grand back then. If I tell them my story. Well, then, what's your story? Like, oh, I kept a diary. You kept a diary? She's like, yeah, just of my... Just of my time working here. <laughs> so they're like, well, how about this? We'll pay you for the diary. Mm-hmm. And she's like, okay. But I want 15000 not 10000 And they're like, fine. But then the new president, Mr. Trenholm, he's like, oh... Since you're such an honest lady and you say all you really ever wanted was to make an honest living, we're not going to buy this diary off you because that's just in poor taste. Mm -hmm. We're going to send you to the bank in Paris where no one knows your name. You can change your name and I'll give you a job and you can live happily ever after. Mm -hmm. And you can tell she's like, damn, (laughs) but she takes it. So then we fast forward however long it takes to get to Paris. I think it's a year actually because he says the department's gone up in a year. Yeah, yeah. And then Mister Trent, the the new president, comes to Paris to visit the bank, and he sees Lily. Like, oh, I didn't expect you to be here. And her boss is like, yeah, she's great. Her department's gone up forty percent this year. And then she seduces him inadvertently. Yeah, it's less. It, I it, mean, it, she tries, but it, it's less obvious. Well, there's
1: there are men hitting at her, on her at all sides here in the in the Parisian bank as well. But she's just. It
0: seems like she's a little over it. She convinces him to marry her. Mm-hmm. He does, and it's like the scandal. And she gets a bunch of like she gets him to buy her a bunch of shit, so she has a nest egg of five hundred thousand dollars, which is like, you know, uh, back then like what ten million dollars, or some crazy. But he gets
1: yanked back to New York because
0: he's in, he becomes, he's, indicted just, he's indicted for indicted. like ruining the bank, and yeah. he says I need this money back that I gave you. He says I need to lawyer up. I need a million dollars tonight. I don't understand how that. I don't either. I don't right. understand how this man needs the equivalent of like twenty million dollars. Can, can we also like <laughs> mention that we're in the depression era, America? Yeah, I don't, as well. I don't understand why he thinks he needs the equivalent of twenty million dollars overnight to get a lawyer. And, but but she goes, she goes, I can't do that. So she tells Chico, "Girl, pack up our shit, we're out
1: of here." She has a good monologue there too about how everything in her is. She's she's worked for. Yeah, she's worked for, her and everything inside her is brittle and dry
0: or something. <laughs> okay. So her and Chico get on the train and Chico's like, you know, just happy to be along yeah. for the ride and she's singing and Lily is like, shut up. And then she takes her money and runs off the train back to Mr. Uh, whatever. Trent Holm. And she bas- basically confesses her love to him. And then we flash forward like a year or so and we see that the bank is like back on its feet thanks to the work he did. And Mr. Trentholm and Lily, and but they're no longer affiliated with the bank. They've moved back to Pennsylvania, and he's just like a blue he's a coll- laborer. He's a
1: blue collar worker, which I don't believe. That felt very much like we got to tack something on. Yeah, Vegas. but
0: we do hear the board of directors saying like that they've cut them a check for their contribution, yeah. which I'm sure was significant and will change their lives. But as we but but as we leave them, they're kind of just broke, living in Pennsylvania. Well, but happy.
1: They, well, we don't see them. They just show the smokestacks,
0: right? <laughs> The end. Um, this was interesting. It's a very heavy-handed. Oh, for sure. It's it's very over the top melodramatic. But I think uh, you know the conversation we had afterwards was interesting. It it definitely invokes a lot of thoughts regarding sex and ma- misogyny and gender equality. <clears throat> uh, that was good, but mm-hmm. you know Barbara. It's just funny because I think Barbara Stanwyck. I've only seen her in like one other movie, maybe. No, you've seen a couple, I'm sure. Maybe. She's not very distinct to me. Like, she could be any lady. From oh, that I don't care. I love Barbara Stanwyck. I'm sure she's great, but I think it's funny that she. There are women in the movie who are more beautiful than her. So I thought it was funny. Like, this lady is taking down all these men. <laughs> I think
1: she's very young and beautiful looking for, for her in this. And no, and it's
0: not that she's not pretty enough to grab men, because I see a lot of ugly bitches, like, out here getting men to do all kinds of shit, but. Um, no, it's not that. It's just it's just funny. Like, I mean, we can go on and on about this movie. Um, I do have a few notes before we do. So John Wayne is in this movie. John Wayne, And if yes. you paid me $20,000, I could not pick John Wayne out of a lineup. But So I didn't know what he looked like when you said, do you know who that is? But looking at John Wayne in this movie, he looks just like um, Bullethead from the Steve Harvey show. Do you know who I'm talking about? No. I'll have to find a picture for you. I don't... But yeah, look up bullet head from the steve harvey show and then look up um john wayne from babyface i think they look like the exact same person
1: <laughs> i'm you know well you know john wayne was a homophobe racist nationalist uh so he's not a favorite of mine uh even though you know marlena dietrich did have an affair with him apparently oh yeah i could see that okay
0: i just showed nick on my laptop um um, so, but John, his role is, like, super, super it's, small. Yeah,
1: he's just, he's a very small step in, in the latter.
0: Uh, but what to talk about first. I guess, so the conversation we had was about, I mean, unless you, is there something significant about the film? It's pre-code. It's pre-code.
1: So this film, so the code was, uh, what year was that established? Like, three years before this. So, like, 1930. And the code had already outlined, like, what was, uh, prohibited to be shown in in film, etc. But it wasn't enforced. And this was one of the films that was so scandalous that it really um, pushed the hand of the censors and was yanked from theaters and really started uh, decades long until the late 60s when the MPAA was uh, created this long series of censorship uh, in, in cinema. Uh, so I think that this is a very interesting film because while it is very heavy-handed, it is trying to kind of Bluntly talk about the truth of how we lead our lives and what goes on between people. uh, Only to uh, kind of send us back into this superficiality of, you know, what men and women
0: do. Okay. Uh, Upon completing the film, my first... Like, my immediate thought was men are so stupid. Yeah. For a number of reasons. Like the gender dynamics and gender roles that really men have perpetuated. And I think a lot of that revolves around religion Mm -hmm. and people's like religious and moral values is just like, so like counterproductive because there are people like in this film, like 19, like early 1930s, there weren't a lot of options for men to find women to interact with sexually right? Unless they they were
1: prostitutes. Unless they
0: were prostitutes. But it's like, but, but then it was known that men had mistresses. Like that was a common thing. It just seems like such a weird dynamic. And then I, you know, we went on and on talking about like sex, but I think it's just, it's like superficially men seem so stupid. Like, so this woman just gives you googly eyes and then you believe that she's into you and then you give her all this shit. It's like, no, she's playing you. But then it's like, So then you would think, can't you see? No, because now in 2021, you see all these like girls on social media tricking these men and these, you know, and the other thing too is oftentimes it's like not the most appealing men who I guess are, have resigned themselves to thinking like, well, if I want a woman I find attractive to be with me, I have to do something for her. And I'm going to be all over the place with this, but that made me think like, it's such a predatory approach in my mind to see a person and think I want to have sex with you
1: what do I need to do to get it what do I need to do to get it
0: I don't care whether you want it with me I don't care if my approach is demeaning like all I like all I'm focused on is I want you to have sex with me and I want to have sex with you and I think that's something that we see a lot with you know I mean most stories we see are of straight men Mm mm-hmm and it's just such a weird thing. like It is. Well, because... But, oh, but what I was going to say is like all these girls on social media who are out here tricking and like all these men buying them cars. And and it's like, you know, just as an example, like these girls dating these ugly ass rappers. These men look oh. like gremlins. Are you talking about Lil Wayne? All of them. Oh. All of them. They're all ugly. And it's like there are, there are very few attractive male rappers and those who women... could pull a beautiful woman if he just worked at like the fedex store well and then they give them herpes if they're <laughs> and then well <laughs> i mean <laughs> you're talking about r kelly uh, usher um and usher <laughs> uh no but it's just like so clearly these women are with these men because they have money and they can do things for them so it's like it still happens today and I always think about Margaret Cho saying that being married is like being a prostitute who works for really low wages. And then she has one bit where she's like, do I have to eat your ass to get you to take out the trash? Like, so it's like, yeah, I guess everyone in some way is sort of exchanging something for something. But, but it, I mean, th- but this is kind of just an elaborate uh, ruse where
1: both people are both laying a trap
0: laying a trap but i i i think when it's like when you're married it's it's almost like we're engaging in sort of a mutually beneficial contract like symbiotic yeah symbiotic like we know that i'm doing this for you to get this and there's an understanding we both have an agenda sure right so i think you'd be stupid to just walk into something thinking like this person just has all these like very uh You know, like these heartfelt intentions for me that aren't based on anything but me just being the love of their life, and that's a little naive, right? Because people also have a plan for the life they want, sure. And you have to kind of fit into that. So I'm not gonna be in a relationship with someone who's not gonna be able to accompany me where I want to go. Of course. So I can't date a broke ass man because, like, that's I'm not gonna support someone else. Like, (laughs) I'm not. So I'm not saying that it's like. So crazy, and certainly in my younger days, I definitely probably f- related a lot to Lily because mm-hmm. I didn't know. I w- I wasn't raised thinking that like I would be able to take care of myself. My mom did a fantastic job and loved me a lot, but I don't think it was part of the, the you know my my sort of thought process as a kid was not that like one day I'll be able to take care of myself. Okay, right? I felt loved and I was smart and. Encouraged and supported, but I don't think I really understood. Like, okay, at a point I'm gonna have to do for myself, and how will I do that? So then, when I started college and I started getting attention from men and they start doing things for me, I was like, oh, so this is how I'll do it. Like, men will help me pay for things, they'll take care of me. So I understand how that can happen. I just think for on the like on the other side of that picture, the people who, we can we can get off this topic, I guess, because I'm going to go on and on, but, but... You're fine. But the thing we were talking about is, uh, another big theme I thought about when I thought men are so stupid is people being sort of like sexually repressed, mm-hmm. right? The danger of sexual repression. The yeah. danger of sexual repression... Really rears its head when we see stories like this. Like these men. Well, it's like again, Depression Era
1: America. Granted, they're in Manhattan where this action is taking place, but making very reckless decisions over you know a woman that they might have some uh, access to. Right. But but not just any kind of woman. It's not a pro. It's like it has to be a woman that's presented in a way that you meet her in a way that uh, is appropriate and wholesome, but you can also kind of pervert the the situation which is bizarre if you think about it and then you know the aim is to marry her and then take her out of the workforce where she's no longer she's handicapped yeah she's ha- but she's no longer vulnerable then and, where other right. men have access to right. her right um so it, it's just that but it it looks funny and silly but yes the the repression aspect is
0: yeah they go crazy i think <laughs> You know, I had said that I think there are two types of people when it comes to sex. Those who place a lot of value on sex and those who don't. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm someone who doesn't. Like, I don't think sex... I don't attach sex to, like, my own personal value. Meaning that whether or not someone wants to have sex with me doesn't really make me feel...
1: Well, that's interesting because I don't think straight men typically... I, I think the angle we were talking about this in is that straight men don't feel like it's part
0: of their self-worth, but whereas women and gay men do. Well, so what I was going to say is yes. So straight men don't necessarily attach that same value, but the value they attach to it is something that they need because they can't get it.
1: Yeah. I'm not saying that all straight men... No. no, Nobody feels
0: that way. No, no, no. But I think... So there's that category. Whether you attach value, like your own self-worth. So like for gay men, it's like, am I not attractive enough that people don't have sex with me? Or if you're like, maybe a stereotypical straight guy who's like, I can't get sex Mm -hmm. as easily as I want, so I place a lot of value in it. Right? Mm -hmm. I'm hungry for it because I can't get it. Or then you have people on the other end who are like, they just don't place value in sex. Like they don't necessarily want it. They're like... You know, maybe, like, have a low sex drive. Or then someone like me who doesn't place a lot of value in it because it's very easy to get, so it doesn't feel special. Like, someone wanting to be sexual with me doesn't make me feel good. It makes me feel kind of the opposite. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, why are you so eager to do this thing with me? So I think that's what I thought watching this, that a lot of people, their lives are greatly affected by this sort of, like, uncontrollable drive to do this thing. Like, it's, it's almost like a compulsion. And I think this film s- sort of shows this woman manipulating men who have this compulsion to be with her. And I don't think, and I think her casting is fine. She doesn't have to be the most beautiful woman because it's not about her beauty, it's just having access to this vagina. Uh,
1: but, but again, a vagina that is a, of a certain class, even. I, I mean, she's presented as somebody that's you know clawing her way out of the working class but again it's it's the presentation of you know her vagina if you will uh and that cuz she's not a prostitute she's
0: she's uh viewed as something that's worth more than that right right so just very interesting um a, a couple of notes i had on the movie though i thought the creepiest part of the movie is when mr stevens confronts her at her new penthouse and he shoots the the president, Mr. Carter,
1: Lily's watching it. She watched it and doesn't move. It's a very, it's probably one of the best shots. She in has the zero
0: reaction. Yeah. Um. So I thought that was creepy. But even before that, when she walks by her bed, it, it would require someone like pause it, but she has these creepy dolls on her bed. <laughs> yeah. Like, why the fuck does she have these creepy-ass Annabelle dolls in her bed? But I think... But, again, it's weird, the
1: presentation of... uh, She has to keep up a certain facade for these men in the house. That she is innocent. Like, even Mr. Carter, when... Oh, that's a good point. She probably has the dolls
0: because she's... Yeah, because he says, like, oh, is this your first... uh, Is this your first heartbreak or something? And she's like, yeah. Like, bitch, you've been hoeing since you were 14. We're not gonna act like...
1: (laughs) But again, even how she, she kind of has to infantilize him because she, yes. she calls him Fuzzy she calls Wuzzy. Him, and, and Baby. And, and Baby. Yeah. And, and, but then, and then she uses that to interesting effect in the board because after the scandal, the murder-suicide, they call her forward and she's like talking about her diary and she's like, and then Baby came into my
0: life. And they're all kind of like, ooh, yeah, we got to shut her up. (laughs) Um, Yes. Also, I thought it was funny that when she goes to Paris and we see the Paris Bank, um, everyone speaks English. They have some... They do have some people speaking French, but I just thought it was funny that she, you know, she clearly, I mean, she couldn't have known anything about Paris before she moved there. No. And now she's like a travel expert (laughs) in, in France. Like, okay, girl. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's entertaining, of course. But yeah, I thought it... I uh, mean, what did you
1: think of George Brent? Who shows up very... Who's the, that? Mr. Trenholm. Oh. The one she falls uh, for. He's okay. He looked a little greasy to me, but whatever. That, uh, he had a, I believe he had a, an affair with Betty Davis because she, in her early film, she really liked working with him. Oh. Like in Dark Victory. It was and, okay. Uh, <laughs> but for the male lead showing
0: up very late. The movie's only like an hour and 11 minutes. Oh yeah, he does show up very late. No, I enjoyed it. Uh, I would definitely recommend it if a person hasn't seen it. Um, I really... Can we talk for a minute about Teresa Harris? Oh,
1: Who's that? Chico. Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, I think stopped acting... I think she died in 1985. Okay. Uh, but she stopped acting in the 50s, late 50s, and she had over 100 credits to her. Oh. But many of that, you know, for uh, black character actress. She was a maid or a housekeeper. Maid or housekeeper or, you know, virtually uncredited in a lot of those films. But um, the other film, she has two very other notable uh, films in her resume including Jezebel, uh, which Betty Davis won her second Oscar for. Okay. Uh, she plays Betty's maid, of course. Uh, and then Jacques Tuner's uh, excellent I Walked With a Zombie, uh, which is kind of a zombie uh, rehash of Jane Eyre, uh, which in turn influenced a pitch the Cole's recent memoria from this year. Uh, anyhow, that being said, uh, to me, who watches, you know, a ton of old films, like whenever I see her pop up, I know immediately who she is. Um, and I think that I like babyface so much not because of just Barbara Stanwyck but this 1930s film where this white woman is uh, attached to this black woman and also they're kind of helping each other out in the ways that maybe are predestined to where they are in the social order but they have each other's back Uh, so it's it's kind of like some early Mae West films in that sense too where I really like that depiction because it's so rare that you mm. see that uh, because she's very kind to her. Like even like for one Christmas dinner, you can see she's, you know, Chico's got nice clothes and is able to kind of come and go as she pleases as, as uh, Lily uh, gets more access to money. She hires butlers and other help. So Chico's not really there as a necessity. It's, it's almost like she's her friend. Yeah. Uh, so I really like that presentation, but um, I was reading about Teresa Harris and in black owned theaters, uh, they would put her name on the uh, marquee marquee above her white co-stars. Or they wouldn't even, you know. That's
0: nice. Yeah. Yeah. She's also beautiful. Oh, yeah. Uh, She died, uh, she was living in Inglewood. (gasps) Oh, shit. Okay. But Which is near us. um, But she, uh, I'm I'm reading that she lived a very nice life because she retired in the 50s, but she married a doctor in 1933. And this is saying that she lived a very comfortable life uh, off of, You know, careful investments from her own career, but you know, she was married to a doctor, so she would have had to. So that's nice to know that she lived a very comfortable life before she passed.
1: Well, because, you know, I can't, yeah, who knows what kind of money they gave her to be in these films, but it's funny that they're, you know, because there there were a lot of black people that were in films, uh, but the erasure is, you know, they aren't even credited in a lot of these films. But I always think of, um, the leech woman too, the actress in that who plays the young version of the, the old lady, mm-hmm. Kim Hamilton, uh, she showed up in a ton of stuff too, uh, it, like watching Odds Against Tomorrow with uh, H- uh, Harry Belafonte. It's just like, oh, like it, there are all of these, I don't know, just careers erased, I feel. But Anything else? Uh, no. Did you enjoy your secret film? Sure. It it was released um, as part of Volume One of a TCM Archives collection. They have several volumes now uh, called Forbidden Hollywood that kind of uh, tries to recuperate um, pre-code films. Uh, so I, I definitely recommend if you like collecting uh, Forbidden Hollywood Volume One, and which has three films on it: Babyface, Waterloo Bridge, uh, the original directed by James Whale, uh, the homosexual you know who directed Frankenstein. Uh, and but the other film that I hope that I can get you to watch someday in this collection mm-hmm. is called Redheaded Woman. It's only about an hour long, but it's starring Jean Harlow. Uh, a lot of fun, also very racy.
0: Oh, uh, this movie also made me want to give a shout out to the theater in um, Minnesota called the Heights Theater in Columbia Heights. Oh yeah, that's such a cute little theater and. We watched several... I recall watching The Big Clock there. The Big
1: Clock and I think I took you to a couple of Veronica Lake films.
0: Yeah. This movie, I mean, I would, you know, it makes me want to watch it in like an old theater. But, yeah, no, it was good. That's all I have. Okay. Do you want to say goodbye?
1: Oh, I thought I had pulled up, hold on, a Barbara quote to to be appropriate. Uh, Not that she had... I mean, she had lots of wise things but it was something about Rod Taylor because um, there, there's rumors that she had an affair with Edith Head, uh, the costume designer. I don't know really if that's true, but there were lots of lesbian uh, rumors that plagued Barbara, uh, but she had, was married to Rod Taylor, who was kind of a matinee idol in, in the late 30s and 40s. Uh, so, uh, I had it pulled up, but I don't see it now, but something like, he's, he's got a lot to learn, and I got a lot to teach. Oh. <laughs>
0: I just saw a quote that says, you think I'm sarcastic? You should hear what I don't say.
1: Oh, yeah. See, I think she was smart and funny. and there's a Well, really no,
0: that, I don't know that that's from her. Uh, I just, that spoke to me right now. She's
1: And she's <laughs> a very humble person. I have her, uh, there's a very extensive biography about her that was published a couple years ago. Um, yeah, she's just a very interesting person, especially for being a Hollywood leading lady.
0: Okay, bye-bye. Uh, bye. bathroom, I'm going to go to the 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 bathroom, I'm going